what's good, y'all? Today on Blue Dope, we have a king of Miami on the low. Yes, yes. The CEO <laughs> of the Fast Life Entertainment Super Manager. And you might have seen him on Love & Hip Hop Miami. We have to let the people know there's so much more behind your story. So, ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome in your homes to Mr. Your home, yes. Booth. Yes. We're virtually virtually clapping in yes. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But now, nah, but Jew Boy, man, your resume is insane. See, I knew you for Amara La Negra, right? I knew she was signed to you. That was my real introduction to Julia Booth. However, when you talk about the history, you got names like Luke, Rose, Pitbull. I mean, all part of your story. So we want to get into that today. You know, we feel like it's critical to talk about that in detail, give the chronological effect of your career so people really understand you. Hey, man, I love it, man. Let's do it. Let me, let me know when, when, I, when and where do you want me to start? So, born and raised in Miami, correct? Born actually in Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica. Oh. Big up, big up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what's going on? Definitely. <laughs> so, I was actually raised half and half. I was raised in Jamaica till I was about 10 or 11. I think it was around sixth grade. My mother decided to um, move us to America. Back then, I don't want to sound too old, but a couple of years ago, it was really dangerous <laughs> in Jamaica when I was a, when mm. I was a kid. So my mom was like, "Yo, we want to." She told my dad, "Like, yeah, I'd rather raise the kids in America. It's a little bit safer." Which you know, I'm, I'm so thankful that she did because I'd probably be a whole different person if I was raised down there. Yeah, yeah but basically, 305 is my home unless like Usain Bolt is running, then I'm full Jamaican again. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh- I'm going to throw you for a twist right out the gate. You're from the 305. Who's top five all-time from Miami? This top five, any genre, top five Miami. We're talking about music? Anything. Top five. Miami 305 representatives. Right. Man, that's, that's so hard. Oh, representatives. Okay, that's easy. I got to give it to my man, my brother Pitbull. Definitely reps 305 until he dies. For real, for real. Mm. Um, he He don't even play with it. One time... We, we had met up and I had a New York hat on. Now, mind you, I had the hat on just because I was matching my clothes. He looks at me and he grabs the hat. He was like, nah, he throws it away. He's like, you know, we, you know, we can't do that. It's 305. And I'm like, bro, I was just wearing it because of the outfit. But I feel you. So I it is. I get it. Yeah, I got to give him. I'm definitely representative for number one. Obviously, the king of Miami, Uncle Luke. You know, there, there is no Miami without him. Technically, he should be number one. I'm going to move him to number mm. one. Pitt definitely number two. I mean, it's it's the top three of Miami, man. It's it's Trick Trina and, and Luke and Pitt. Those are your, you know, outside of me, That's but it. you know that that means the uh, guys who's really really repping. Okay, okay. All right. So to go back into it, you know, I feel like once you grow up in certain places, you have no choice but to be engulfed by the culture, right? So coming from Yard up to Miami, what influenced you musically? Just hearing the new sounds that you heard in Miami. Funny enough, while I was in Jamaica and I was growing up, even though I heard reggae and dancehall, because obviously that's like what's playing the most, the people who I was actually around were playing a lot of pop music. So I was big time into like break dancing. I was big time okay. into obviously like Michael was the biggest thing in Jamaica. Like the moonwalking, like he every Jamaican was like Michael Jackson is just, you know, everything. Right. So I actually grew up with a lot of um Rock and roll, 
Uh, okay. Pop, pop stuff, funny enough, when I first moved up here, then I started getting more into hip hop when um I was in middle school and my one of my homeboys brought in um NWA tape and I was like I never heard the word nigga so much in my life and I didn't even know what it I didn't even know what it meant because in Jamaica that, that word wasn't even used in Jamaica so when I'm listening to it it was like niggas with attitudes and I'm like I really went home to my mom and I was like what's a nigga because everybody keeps saying it I don't even know what it is so. Oh, yeah, like when I came up here, then it started to change, and then Luke was like, still is like one of my biggest okay. idols, and I was just a huge fan of his. So I was very much into like the bass, up tempo, club type of music. So as I grew into an A and R, when I started at first, I was heavily influenced by like the club and just that bounce and everything, and I try to always incorporate it with any kind of music that I do. See, see now, now you jumping ahead too far. I want to know. At what point did you realize that you had to be part of the industry? Oh, I got you. I had a little rap group when I was growing up, right? It was me and my mm. one of my two, you know, childhood friends who I'm, I'm still close with. Me and my homeboy was the rapper, and my other homeboy used to beatbox. So he, it was like, um, it was like Tribe Called Quest type vibe. It was a producer and okay. two rappers. We used to do like little talent shows here and there. And this guy walked up to us, and he, I, I wish I could remember his name, but he was a manager, and he was like, mm. "Yo, man, you guys are dope, man." I want to take you guys into the studio. We had no clue. I had no clue what a studio was. I had no clue how music was made. And we was just like, yeah, cool, whatever. So he takes us to the studio. And as I walked into the studio and we did that first song, I knew right then and there, this, this is what I want to do. I didn't know in what wow. capacity, but I, I was watching him as a manager. And I was like, yo, I love what this guy does. After a while, after we graduated, my, my other friends, you know, they went on with their lives. But I was so enthralled and I was so interested in the music side. I just kept going with it. And uh, yeah, here I am now. So, I mean, I kind of get a gist of it. But did you go to school formally for music? Or was it just, uh, you know, I'm a student of, of the world and I'm just picking up as I go along. Like, you know, school of the hard knocks. We just learn as we go. Which one was it? Um, half and half. I went to, I started to go to school. Fort Lauderdale Institute of Music and Video. Now, here's the crazy part. I went to the school, even though I was doing music, I fell in love with doing movies and TV. Mm. My original my original thing in life was being a director, being a writer, being an actor. Like, I was so much into that. Like, I used to shoot home movies. I was in drama class. So I was really into it. And I accidentally fell into music, really wow. by accident. Because I went to the school and I was like, all right, well, I can do video and music. So let me just learn both because they both coincide with each other. And one of my friends, this guy named Jamal, he said, yo, I got this internship, but I got to move to New York. If you want to take it, it's yours. And I was like, yeah, yeah, cool. So I go over to the internship. It was a management company called Entertainment mm-hmm. Resources. They were the management company. It was ran by Jermaine Dupri's father, Michael Moly. Oh. Wow. So that was the first guy I started working with. And he was the one that was teaching me the ropes from the beginning. Remember, at the time, they had crisscross, they had the brat, they had yeah. uh, arrested development. Like, they were yeah. the hottest, wow. hottest management company in the world. Like, anything Jermaine Dupree signed, they were automatically managed by Michael Molden. I ended up learning really fast, really quickly on the management side how things were working. They had signed Luke. And this is how I met Luke. So I used to go to Luke's Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, all right. so, Move it too fast. Jermaine, go ahead, go ahead. So Jermaine Dupree's father 
sign Luke or Jermaine Dupree? Like who? How did that happen? No, no, no. This was after this was when Luke was signed to Island Records. He was kind of starting over because he had the whole bankruptcy thing. And I came literally mm. as he had the bankruptcy. So he was starting kind of fresh. So he was like, look, I'm going to bring this guy in to help manage me. Sorry. Okay. This is Michael talking. I mean, this is Luke saying okay. it to Michael. So Michael started okay. managing him. And I wow. was kind of like the intern that was running back and forth, dropping off documents. You know, this is before emails and all that stuff. So yeah. I used to go over there and just hand a little stuff to Michael with Luke. Luke was just, he saw something in me. He was like, yo, he's like, what do you do? And I was like, whatever it takes. Now, mind you, I'm holding mm. back every time I used to go to Luke because this guy was like my idol. So when mm. Michael when Michael was like, yo, went over there to Luke and take this, I'm like, Luke who? Campbell? Luther Campbell? Uncle Luke? <laughs> He's like, yeah, you know, I signed him. And I'm like, oh, shit. So I'm going over there like freaking out. But I'm trying to keep cool. Wow. So I always went above and beyond duty for a guy who I wasn't even working for. And he was like, yo, mm. man, I, like your, I like your energy. I like your spirit. Do you want a job? And like my heart dropped. I was like, what? I'm like, yes. Like when you can start, I'm like, now. Like I'm quitting that internship. I'm going to work for you. I was ready. Yeah, because that was one of the things I was going to ask is, was Luke teaching you only about the music side of things or was it more about just industry and business in general? And it seems like, you know, you were learning all spectrums of the music industry ropes. Man, listen, you can't get no better teacher than Uncle Luke. Luke. Wow. This was the guy who literally had a full independent company, fully independent. There was nothing in life that he had to go outside of his office for. He did his own distribution. He pressed his own records. Inside his office, he had the art department, the sales department. We would make a record at night at the studio. And tomorrow morning, the artwork was done. This was done. That was done. Wow. They, they were pressing it up. And literally, the crates were shipping it out to record stores. It was unbelievable. I was like, this guy is incredible. The one thing that he taught us that was great was never wait for nobody. If you want to do something, don't wait. For, who are you waiting for? And if you don't, if you can't mm. hire nobody, figure it out. He put me in so many crazy positions because he would just walk in the office and be like, I want to make videos. I want to put videos out, figure it out. And I'm like, wait, what? And that's how the, the, the Luke Freak Show started. The Luke Freak Show oh, started. Man. You guys remember the DVD that was popping back in the day, right? Yeah. Right. We used to film the shows, but we were filming them for legal purposes because one time okay. this girl was on stage and there was a little confusion on stage because you know how Luke oh, shows. Oh. And she what said that well, yeah, one of the dancers did this to her or something happened and um we had no proof, right? So Luke was like, wow. yo, make sure I'm filming all my shows. So we were filming <laughs> the whole thing, right. the whole show. And I was just watching the show one day and I'm just like, yo, he's looking at it. I'm looking at it. And that's when we were like, yo, let's do a video. So I go, mm. I edit the video. I do the artwork. I bring it back to him. He's like, perfect. Let's go. And we started shipping these things out by the hundred thousands. Like it was crazy. <clears throat> Bananas. Bana- so so you're, you're probably in the back of those videos. We might, if we go look at those videos now, we might see young Julian just running around. You might catch me in clips here and there. But <laughs> <laughs> my mind goes back to the one with Jay-Z. Oh, my God. Let me tell you, that was one of the funniest <laughs> interviews ever in life. Because, mind you, 
Jay was like, you know, being cool and whatever. But right. man, Luke had all these girls around doing the craziest stuff. And if you watch the video, Jay's like this. He don't even know what to do. He's just like, wait, what? And then Luke was so cool and calm. He's just like, yeah, eat her out. Do this and that. And Jay-Z was just like, whoa. And you only see like, you only see like 25% of what really happened. Like the rest of the night was mm. stupid. And Jay was just like, I got to get out of here. Like he wasn't about to <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Big up, big up nah, we, we, nah. <laughs> I'm Anna, a transgender woman, and I'm Cam, your dad, and this is the transgender. Join Anna as she chronicles her transition, and Cam as he learns how to be a supportive parent. This podcast is about embracing differences and finding common ground. It's a roller coaster of emotions, laughter, and genuine connection. Tune in to new episodes of The Transgender Bi-Weekly. Subscribe and listen to The Transgender on your favorite podcast platform. Love you all, except the bigots. You know, we we from Brooklyn, so we we love hearing the whole stories and <laughs> hove in Miami. Man, listen, it was it was hilarious, I th- and I think we were on a yacht too, so it was just like stupid. It was wow. So now, nah, so we go from Luke, right, bona fide Miami legend, right, but then all of a sudden you end up with Trick Daddy. So hold Even on, hold on. Now, 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 now you moving too fast. Go back. Go, go back to Luke. Uh, right. So Luke. So Luke. I like. Yeah, yeah. There's a. This is a big part of Miami right now in history. So okay. All right. Luke all right, comes let's back. Go. Luke comes back. He goes. He does a show uh, in Japan. We do a tour in Japan, right? I wasn't able to go. Um, I was still a Jamaican citizen at the time, so I wasn't able to go. So he goes there and he comes back, right? He comes back amped, right? He's like, "Oh man, the show was crazy." He's like, "Yo." Find me a Japanese or Asian rapper. That's gonna be the next big mm. thing. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna blow them up. So I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm back on the grind. Now mind you, this is back before the internet. So I'm looking, I'm calling yeah. people, I'm calling DJs. I'm like, yo, who's the hottest person? Da 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 da. Right. So finally, my, one of my boys called me back once I put the word out, and I'm my boy calls me back. This kid named Jamie. He calls me back and okay. he's like, yo, Jay, I got um, I got this Asian rapper. He's dope. Right, but I also have this Latin kid, so I'm gonna give you both mm. their phone numbers. You let me know which one you like. I said, Cool, I'm not even paying a mind to the Latin rapper yet. I'm just like, Yo, Luke wants an Asian rapper, that's what I gotta get him. I called the kid up, I'm like, Yo, listen, I want you to come by the studio. Uncle Luke is interested, I want to hear what you got. Yo, I gotta work, my mom has a restaurant, and I can't come. I said, All right, bro, call him again. I'm like, Yo, I'm pressing him, like, Yo, Luke wants to meet you. Are you sure? I'm pressing him. Every day it was the same excuse. You know, I got to work. I got to do this. I got to do that. So I'm like, all right, bro. So I called a Latin kid and I literally almost lost the phone number, but I find the phone number. Actually, it was a pager. I page the number, calls back, and I say, yo, brother, come by the studio real quick. He's like, I'm going to be there in an hour. Right? Mm, before I had a guy right there. This guy comes ringing the doorbell, walks in, pants sagging, braids in his hair, blue <laughs> eyes. He looks white as hell. I'm like, oh, man, what the hell? So I'm like, all right, so we start chopping it up. Who's going to kill me? But instantly, though, there was a vibe between us. I'm like, yeah, I like this kid, man. So I go, yo, I go straight to it. I take him to the studio. I'm like, I have anything recorded? He's like, I just kind of started, but nothing like really recorded yet. So I'm like, all right. Mm. He starts spitting spitting a freestyle. I'm like, yo, yo, yo. Freestyles don't sell records, bro. We need songs. Mm. So I'm like, go into Mm. the booth. 
and rap something for me. Um, I'm like, yo, I'm going to play you a beat. I'm going to leave you with it and let you write. He listens to the beat once. He's like, I got it. I'm looking at him like, oh, this is going to be about an epic fail. So he goes into the booth. I hit the record button. I promise you on life to this day, one of the hardest verses that I ever heard. And he's going mm. back and forth in English and Spanish. And back then, Spanish rap wasn't big as it is now. Like, it was cool. Yeah. You had, like, La, La, La Raza and like a couple other guys. But it wasn't big, big. I'm listening to this guy. I'm like, yo. He stepped out the booth. And I'm yeah. like, dude, what the hell did you just say? And he was like, oh, I said this and that. I'm like, it don't even matter. Be like, you're signed. Like, what is this? And that guy wow. to this day, Mr. Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide, that was my first signing, right? And the Japanese, okay. the Asian kid, I don't think he's Japanese, the Asian kid was Jin, who ended up on uh, on Rough Riders, but he never really pop pop. So you know wow. something in, in my brain was like thinking about Jin while I was like, nah, because Jin is Rough Rider. So wow. wow. That was that was years wow. later. If you remember, Jin and Pitt was in Fast and the Furious because Rough Jin was still Riders. always around, but he never and no disrespect to Jin, like great guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But nobody can outwork Pitt. That's what I loved about him. That's because crazy. this guy, and this is the part of the story, he rode his bicycle from Hialeah to South Beach. That's like, if you mm. guys are in Miami, that's like an hour ride. On a bicycle. And he was like, yo, what are we doing? Like, let's He had to hit that hour. Listen, <laughs> man, that boy wasn't no joke, man. Te- technically, Jen might have had been Pitbull if he just came through instead of hanging out at the restaurant, basically. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I would want to see that. <laughs> I mean, listen, the thing is, you never you, you never know what would have happened, <clears throat> you know? Because had I not called Pitt that day, I mean, listen, the thing I always explain to people, it's not that there's a lot of dope rappers who are 50, 60 years old right now who never made it, right? But we true, know, like, you know, my nigga, you was dope as hell. Why didn't you make true. it? And it's just, you might have missed the opportunity. You might have said no yeah. to something and you should have said yes. Right. Someone else might have took your spot and blew up. And it's not to say that everything would have happened, but I can comfortably say, and if you ever listen to a lot of pit interviews, my name always comes up because he says, this mm. is the guy who discovered me because had Pitt not met me, he wouldn't have met Little John. He would have never mm. met his first production company that put money behind him. He would wow. have never been signed to TVT. So he could have wow. been a dope rapper, but he could have been a dope local rapper still to this day. And then don't forget the huge lawsuit I had with TVT Records. And that's why there's no more TVT Records. That freed <laughs> him out of his contract because Crazy. those guys told him, looked him in his face and said, yo, you will only be a local rapper. There's no point to promote your music in other countries. This is what Steve Gottlieb told him. So because Crazy. I sued the company and I won and TVT went bankrupt, it freed him where he was able to go to Sony and become Mr. Worldwide. Mm. Wow. I definitely wanted to ask that question of, you know, what was the transition from? Because, I mean, when Pitbull first came on the scene, if we look back on YouTube, we could see he was about that hardcore freestyling. And then the transition came where he became Mr. 305, you know, having that crossover appeal, mainstream appeal. Like, that was the question that I had in my mind. What was that transition like? So Pitt, in the beginning, you have to understand this kid grew up on the streets. He grew up around us. So he always had an edge to him, and he was rapping about what he knew about. Dope, slanging, you know, mm. street stuff, violence. Like, that's what we grew up and we were doing. But we also, obviously, love the club, love the ladies. So we always he, he'd be talking about that. But here's the thing. 
when we started doing records, he started noticing when he started doing a little bit more crossover records and he started going a little bit more pop. Now, he would be at the club performing and he would have on like regular T-shirts and jeans as he would normally wear. But his fans would have on, you know, button up mm. suit and tie. And he's looking like, wait a minute, why, how are y'all dressed better than me? So mm. then he started changing his stuff up and he started noticing the bigger that he got, the better that he dressed, the more money that he was making. And then he mm. came, he started worrying more about his brand. So now he was like, yo, you hanging out with me, you work for me, you have to look the part. Because wow. he, these corporations now are cutting me million dollars checks. I'm not running around talking about shoot him up, kill him. I'm just talking about nah. fun stuff now. If you notice now, if you listen to his first album and his last project, you notice he don't even curse no more. Like it's yeah. super bubble cum clean because yeah. he's, getting, he's getting the Microsoft checks. So Microsoft ain't going to hire <laughs> no thug rapper because that's not the audience. They, wow. want. They, want the, they want the clean cut guy. They want the suit and tie. And it worked for him. That's what's up. This I'm I'm really learning right now. Like I'm I'm in awe right now of this just having this Miami lesson because coming from Brooklyn, you know, we literally have to wait until it comes on Hot 97 or it comes on BET or it comes on MTV to really get a, a glimpse of who the artist is. So we don't know the behind the scenes of their come up until they actually announce it. And to have someone like you that not you don't not only is behind the scenes with the artists, but can give those backstories of what you did to get them there. I mean, yeah. it's necessary to hear. So it's appreciated. Now, Pitt is one of the very few artists. And I, and this is why I like, he's my brother. He's, he's the one guy that can call me three o'clock at night. Hey, get in the car. No questions asked. I'm, roll, I'm rolling with you, whatever you want. And the same for yeah. me, because, you know, as much as I made him, he made me too, because my name is attached to him. I always believed in him from that first day, and he and he knows that. And again, had I not embraced him, had I not thrown him on his first record, his first feature was with him, Cameron, and Luke. And I'm telling Luke, you'll throw a pin on there, take him on tour with you, put your arm around him, and that's wow. what he did. He would have never met the people that would end up shaping his career and becoming his team. And like half of them are still with him to this day for him to be able to come who he is. So just throughout his career, he understands that more importantly, though, he gives me the credit. So when you listen to yeah. his interviews, he'll come and bring it up and he'll be like, yeah, this is the guy that discovered me. Even when he introduces me to people, like we met, uh, I met um, uh, Enrique uh, Iglesias. You know, Pitt's like, oh, this is the guy who started me and this and that. And I'm like, all right, Pitt, chill. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> you, I, I don't mind the intro, but you're doing way too much right now. <laughs> but I, love, I love him for that, man, because most, a lot of artists don't do that. A lot of artists, it becomes about them and I did this and I did that. And it's like your team is is so important. Even with me, as great as I can be, like oh, I'm the best. I can't do it on my team. So I shout out to my team who holds me down and the, are behind the scenes making things happen of whatever my vision is. What What did Luke say to you after the fact? In hindsight, <laughs> he wanted the Asian kid. You brought in Pitbull. <laughs> what What is that conversation with Luke after? <laughs> but the funny part was, I told him straight up, the Asian kid's not serious. But check this kid out. And he walked mm. in and he listened, he listened to the song we recorded. And he was like, yo, tell this kid to come back right now. And he came That's over, they, they chopped it up. I swear to God for about 10 minutes. And he said, send him a contract. He's my next guy. Wow. Wow. Now, now here's the funniest story. Pitt said this a couple of times if we catch an interview. The first check Luke gave him, it bounced. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yo, so... We signed them. It was like $2,500, right? 
Now, mind you, I know y'all um, looking like, what the who the hell? But you have to understand, this is this is this is this is a while yeah. ago. So, and it's an independent company. It wasn't like Luke Records yeah. back in the day, right? So it was twenty five hundred dollars. I mean, we can laugh about it now. So Pitt gets to the bank again. He ri- literally rides a bicycle all the way to Bank of America or whatever <laughs> whatever bank it was at the time. And he gets in there and he goes in, he tries to cash it, and they're like, "Yo, there's not enough money in here." So oh, Pitt man. calls me. He beeps me. I call him. I'm like, yo, what's up, B? And he's like, yo, I got to the bank, bro. There ain't no money. And they're like, check's bouncing. <laughs> I was like, I was like, nah, you good. You good. I said, go tomorrow. You straight. Like, I call Luke. I, I call Luke back. And I'm like, yo, nigga, like, put some money in there. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> so he, he puts it in. We get it clear the next day. But it was just, it was funny when he called me because he was like, is this how it's going to be? And I'm like, nah, nah, nah. I was like, you, you straight, bro. <laughs> okay. So I just want to know, like, just in terms of, Trick and Trina. Yeah. Nan was, at least for me, my introduction to Trick Daddy and Trina. And the way that song, Nan, took over the airwaves, especially in in New York. If if you know New York radio and just the, the music scene in New York, it's very, very, if you're already hot, that's when you're in New York. So for a Miami sound like Trick and Trina to make its way to New York when it did, that's a big deal. So can you tell us, give us a little bit inside of what your dealings and and how you formulated and and made them come into their own? Okay, so let me tell you the timeline. When Nan came out, I was actually still at Luke, right? So Trick's first album, I was actually watching it just like you guys. I was just a fan. Right. So when it when it first came out, um, I knew Trick obviously from him doing Scarred, and you know we had kind of talked to uh, talked a little bit uh, when he first did the record. So we were friends. Trey Plus Six, who was CO and Money Mart, um, they were like the first artists on on Slip and Slide. Corey was a good friend of mine. Mark's a good friend of mine. So we all knew each other. It was you know Miami small, so it was a small circle of us mm-hmm. knowing each other. I came in, I came on board on Trick's second album. After right after Trina's first album is when I started. So every album, especially with Trina, every album after the first one, I A and R'd and and marketed both. And then Trick, same thing. And then obviously Ross and Plows came afterwards. So I came in right when Trick was blowing up. Um, he was, you know, he was still on the come up. He wasn't like mega mega, but he was like on the rise where people were like, "Yo, this kid is killing it." And then that's when I went over there. And I, I, I funny enough, I just this is when the two way pages were there. And I hit one of my guys. I'm like, yo, you guys know this guy, Ted? And they were like, yeah, I know Ted. I'm like, cool. I was like, send me his, send me his number. So I emailed Ted. And the thing what happened with it, what happened with it, Luke was, you know, I'm loyal to the fault. If you rock with me, I'm going to rock with you until the wheels fall off. But there's a point in time that I knew at the end of the day, what I'm doing now is what I always wanted. You know, to be an incredible boss, you have to be even a more incredible follower. So I knew mm. how to take direction. I knew what to do. And I proved myself to these guys where, like, they knew what I knew what I was doing. This guy, Michael Hopkins, shout out to Hop. He was he knew about me, and he was like, "Yo, this guy Julian, he's keeping Luke alive, but I think he's he's finished over there. He wants to come over here." So he was telling Ted this, and then funny enough, I just emailed Ted out the blue, and I'm just like, "Yo, and I work for Luke, but I'm hitting like a snag because I felt like even with Pitt, we weren't doing the right things, and and the music mm. creative side, we were bumping heads." And I was telling him, in, and again, I'm listening to Luke, but I was like, yo, this ain't the, this ain't the direction where Pitt needs to go. And he was like, nah, we need to do that. Mm. And I was like, I told Pitt, like, yo, I'm out. I'm going to go to this work, this new company. 
and I really want to bring you over there. So, you know, let's mm. keep in contact and let's go. So, I left. Talked to Ted. Ted was like, "Yo, you're hired. Let's go." The funny part about this was when I started at Slip and Slide, I was enemy number one because they had already been building their chemistry as a team for the last couple of years now. Here I come, coming from Luke, and Luke was like the enemy because a lot of the Luke mm. employees went over to Slip and Slide. And here I come now later on. So I'm walking into this office. It's just straight hostility. They were like, who the fuck is this nigga? Like, we don't know you like that. So it was crazy the first year. But then every, you know, after a while, everybody started buddy-budding and we got cool. So in, in terms of your work with Trina, can you give us like a little discography, discography of, of what you've done with Trina once you got to Slip and Slide? Man, every hit you've heard, here we go again, single again. <laughs> If you watch really carefully, you see me in a lot of the videos, you know, for a split second. Ah, uh, <laughs> in the Trina videos. Here we That's go. Yeah. Playing back in yeah. my mind right now. Okay. I was the guy moving the boxes in yes. the background. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, man, everything, man, from, from the thing with me was I just, there was never an ego thing with me. So it was like, I would aim on a project. If we needed to drive somewhere, I'd jump in the car and go drive somewhere. Like, it was nothing to me. I just, at the end of the day, I just wanted to win. And keeping an artist relevant for a decade, if not two decades, is extremely difficult. Because as you know, artists come and go quick. They can have a hit mm. today and be gone tomorrow. Right? Mm. So to keep somebody relevant for almost 20 years is extremely, extremely difficult. And it takes a worth ethic like none other. It was a lot of fun, man. We just had a lot of great times and a lot of great accomplishments. You know, same thing with Trick. We did the same thing for him. In the Wind, Sugar on My Tongue. It, there's so many stories. Like, In the Wind got leaked. Y'all remember In the Wind? It was yeah. Yeah, Trick, yeah. CeeLo, and Big Boy. In the Wind got I leaked. Didn't... I leaked one song. I'm going to admit it now. I had leaked one record. <laughs> Not that one, but I had leaked Exclusive. Exclusive right now. I forget which record it was, but I had leaked the record. And ever, ever since I did that, I was known as the guy who leaks records. So everybody was scared <laughs> to give me records. So in the wind uh, came out, and everybody was looking at me with the evil eye, like, Julian leaked that record. I'm like, I leak it. I promise you on life, I didn't leak it. But it took off, <laughs> right? It started working. And we had to catch up to the hit. And then we threw Big Boy on the record afterwards because the original mm. version was just uh, Trick and CeeLo. CeeLo. And then and we wanted something different, so we added Big Boy on it just to have something different. Just one thing. Can you explain, because, I mean, the newer generations might not know what an A&R is. We, we go in Clubhouse and stuff, and we hear people throwing around th that term or that title. So just give the youngins a, a quick lesson on what an A&R is and how important they are to artists. A&R, the actual term is artists and repertoire. But they're the ones who discover talent. They're the ones who find you the hits. They're the ones who really put your whole project together musically. So if you're in a vibe and you're like, yo, we need a club record, then I'm going to go in and research and find out what club record is a hot record, try to find something different for you to do, or find something familiar. Whatever the case mm. is, your A&R is the guy who develops your sound with you for however your album wants to sound. So you have great A&Rs like Little John. You know, even Jermaine Dupri was an A&R. Obviously, Diddy, incredible A&R. Um, all these guys usually started in that spot. They would find talent, develop them. But in this day and age now, honestly, artist development is out the window. 
mm. uh, unless you find like companies like QC, you know, big up to them. Like they're the ones developed Arnold Taylor who has the baby. Like you'll, if you go to his page, you'll see him developing these new guys until they break. But the record companies don't really do that no more. They want everything sealed, signed and delivered where they can just come and pick it up and just run with it. Follower count in the millions already. And then we sign you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They just want to come in and be able to throw some money on it and really blow it up. But the a- the, tr- the real true A&Rs aren't like how they used to be back in the day. So, so I mean, is the, the new A&R, would that be that guy who's calling himself the CEO of that very small label with this one artist? Is that typically what it is now? People like myself who have small labels, production companies, those are the new A&Rs now because those are the guys that if some guy was to walk up to me right now, like, yo, I rap, you couldn't walk up to a rep from Atlantic talking about you rap because they'd be like, All right, how many how many Spotify numbers do you have? Right? Yeah. But I might, li- I might listen to you and be like, yo, you're dope. Let me bring you to the studio. That's what a real A&R does. So I'm, I'm going to go back to Slip and Slide now because Slip and Slide, we, we knew Trick, we knew Trina, but then there's this, this guy, he pops up in one of Trina's videos, right? And um, I, I remember the song, uh, it was like, um, I forgot how it goes right now, but... Told y'all to get down. The flow was different than what we know now. But that was the first time we saw Ricky Rose. So was that your time at Slip and Slide as well? Was he one of the artists that you were a and r Yeah, Ross Ross was on the label for like almost eight years. Like I tell everybody, wow. Ross, was a, Ross was a 10-year process that we had to wow. work with. And he literally had to wow. sit and wait and watch Trick. And we used to give like half of his records to Trick. Um, <laughs> listen, hold on, hold I can on, tell you on, right. <laughs> Which I want to know what song was out there that Trick dropped as a single that was supposed to be for Ross. No, other way around. A lot of the oh no no no, they, a lot of records that you heard Ross feature on that was on Trick's album was Ross's songs. We just if the record was just so hard, we put Trick oh, on. God. If you notice, right. If you notice with Trick, you'll notice that there's a lot of features. Like, Thugs R Us was a yeah. compilation album. If you really yeah. go and dissect that album, it was supposed to be a Slip and Slide All-Star album. Ah. But we end up changing it to Trick's album because Trick was just so hot. So we were just like, all right, yeah. let's just call it Trick's album. But it really was a compilation album. Half the record, he's, not even, he's barely on them. Wow. The more you know. But with, but with Ross, though, Ross just had this voice, man. He was just yeah. so incredible. He has this, his first mixtape that was making a lot of noise in New York. I remember I was, um, and this is crazy because this is literally 20 years ago because I was walking my son in a, in a stroller. And this is how long ago it was because he's a grown man now. <laughs> and I'm walking him with a stroller and I call Ted and I'm, I'm listening to the mixtape and I'm like, yo, the future of Slip and Slide is Ricky Rose. So back wow. then it was Ross. And they're like, yo, the future it's is Ross. Ross. I'm like, this guy is so incredible. And Ted was like, you think so? Like, for real, for real. I'm like, dude, this is our guy. Like, yo, this mixtape is so sick. This guy's spitting. The problem in the beginning with Ross was he was so lyrical. He was really like, mm. he, had like a, he had like a New York flow. Like, he used to hit yeah. and run. It's when he kind of dubbed it down a little bit is when things started really working. And okay. his first record, Hustling, technically was, we gave it to Trick first. Trick said no, he didn't like it. Then it ended up on a CD, and we gave it to Ross. And this is when Ross was beating us. We we were trying to put him out, but we just couldn't connect anything. And he got mad at us, and he was like, "Fuck, slip and slide, and this and that." And, you know, we, but labels get that all the time, so we were just like, "All right, yeah, whatever." Yeah. 
he, we gave him hustling, we gave him the beat, and the rest is history. Oh, he, he leaked it. Sorry, he wasn't supposed to. Oh, leak so, it. He so, leaked it too. so he leaked it himself. He leaked it. He leaked it himself, and then Khaled played it, and the rest was mm. history. I feel like around that time, leaks were were prominent. If if your song wasn't leaked, were you really hot? I feel like around that time in hip hop, a lot of tracks, a lot of albums were getting leaked. Well, you see, back then, it's different now. If your album leaks now, it don't even matter. Right. But back then, it would mess everything up. If your album leaks, it was a problem because it messed up your sales. Because if I had the if I had the CD, why would I buy it? People would just burn it and just pass it around to all their homeboys, and they would literally the bootleggers were making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like it was crazy. Like I knew bootleggers pulling up the Mercedes Benz, like I'm um, chilling. I'm like, wait a minute, how much money y'all making? Man? Crazy. But you're back then. You remember they were selling tapes like they like the record stores. Yeah, Especially I know. Especially if, if it wasn't out. Yeah, imagine you had a Drake album right now, and you know the guy yeah. down the street had it. You telling me you wouldn't go out there to go buy it real quick? For oh yeah, I've done that. Yeah, and it was free for the bootleggers. <laughs> they didn't have to pay nothing. They were like, yeah, we got the leak. We're gonna press it up and go. Easy money. The the Brooklyn in me wants to know, right? You you had Hove hanging out with Luke in the interviews, but then years fast forward, Hove is at Def Jam. He scoops Ross up. So how did that feel? Knowing that you know, is that just industry stuff? Where that's just the norm? You you were grooming this guy for like years, and then boom, he's on Def Jam. Jay just made the best deal, man. Yeah. Uh, when that deal happened, Def Jam just came with the best situation possible. You know, when you're, he was the hottest guy when that song came out. Here's the funny thing. Ross was signed to Atlantic. Uh, There's about three albums right now sitting in Ted's office that no one has ever heard of. Oh, wow. Ross albums because we recorded wow. so many songs with this guy. Wow. So Atlantic now, when, <laughs> obviously when Ross broke, Atlantic came back and was like, oh, he signed to us. And we were like, nah. Because they had dropped him. They were like, yo, he's never going to work. And we were like, all right. And we kept it moving. And then they came. But Def Jam just gave us the best deal. Jay just gave us, I mean, it's it's Hove. So it's like, yeah. You you come in with the best deal and you're Hove. Like, we rocking with you. Yeah. And he was in that position to make those power moves. I mean, a lot of (laughs) artists were able to flourish when he was president of Def Jam. Like, that was a good time for Def Jam. Absolutely. So, so I mean, just to clarify, in the beginning, Ross was slip and slide Def Jam. Is that was that like a joint deal at that point? No, no, no. It was it was Ross on Atlantic, but got it. I think I think if we put out two records and they both flopped on Atlantic, got it. And then got they were it. like, "We're done." And then that's kind of wow. like when we got we got we kind of got a little discouraged because we were so used to the major platform, even though we did a lot at Slip and Slide, but we were kind of discouraged, like, damn, is this guy, is he whack? Or, or, or are we just confused? But we was like, no, let's just keep thugging it out. And we kept putting records out, but nothing would connect. Like, it just wouldn't work. Like, when, when you were uh, at Slip and Slide, were, were you the only one gunning for Rick Ross? Like, I mean, was it just you and the team? Did anybody else at Slip and Slide really see the vision the way you saw it? Yeah, no, no, no. I got to give a 1,000% credit to... Uh, two other guys. One was Milk, and the other guy was Red. Red was Ross's manager in the beginning. Mm-hmm. He really, really, he always championed that whole situation. He, I think, mm-hmm. uh, either him or Milk, actually found him at Suave House, and we bought the contract from Suave House to bring him to Slip and Slide. 
Okay. But when I heard the when I heard the mixtape, that's when I knew a thousand percent. I was like, this is the guy. But no, it was a team effort, man. We all believed in him. We just couldn't find the record, and it just happened to come accidentally, really. Yeah, that's usually how it does. Yeah. I remember when Ross, the Source magazine, wouldn't. I don't know who was talking to them, but for some reason they wouldn't give him the cover. This is like after Hustling came out, and he was like, I think we we're on the second album, or the, or to the end of the first album. And we were trying to get the source cover. We're like, yo, Ross is like the biggest thing. And they were like, nah, not yet. One of my guys knew the editor. And they're like, yo, I think you should talk directly to the editor. So I'm like, yo, connect me. And boom. And I talked to him like, yo, my B, like, are you really not putting Ross on the cover? And he was like, wait a minute. Mm. We're, wh- why aren't we doing that? And I'm like, one of your guys said that he wasn't doing it. Like, yo, this is the move. So I was actually the first one to be able to get him that cover on nice. the source. So I think there's one more artist from Slip and Slide, if I'm correct. I didn't even know until later on that. So Plaz, let's talk about the brother Plaz. So what was your involvement with Plaz? So Plaz came from one of our guys who used to work our street team. His name is Byron. He was the one. He used to be in the streets all the time. So he was in Fort Myers and he comes back from a show and he's like, he comes to the office and he's like, yo, is y'all ready for our next superstar? So we're like, all right, let's listen. So he pops in this tape and man, we just hear this voice. We're like, yo, who is this? Now, I ain't going to lie. First time I heard it, I wasn't convinced. The first time mm. I heard it, I listened to it and I was like, this nigga ain't even rapping. He just talking. You right? <laughs> I'm like, he just talking crazy. I, was like, let me, I said, let me ride out to this. So I, I burned a copy and I'm listening to it all night. And it really, and here's the funny part. When I started drinking and listening to it at the crib, I was like, ooh, that's when I started getting into it. I'm like, oh, yeah. I didn't even have Hennessy to hit real quick. And I'm like... Yeah, I said he different. He drove across. He come and met with us, and we were like, "Yo, we need to put the whole label on your back, man." It was him and his brother, Big Gates. Yeah, the rest was history. We signed him right there, and we put out his first mixtape. Uh, it, it made it made crazy noise. Like, yo, when I tell you that we went up and down Florida, every club, mm. every strip club, any anywhere there was a DJ, we were there with that record. We were just like giving them mm. records. He had a record called uh, Thirty Six Bricks or something like that, and every club in florida was playing he was the hottest thing in florida and mike karen shout out to atlantic records they came and they were like yo we love this kid let's get him i i, I gotta ask a, a funny question there's always been rumors that with plaz when you actually speak to him he's just super like prim and proper he almost talks like yo like, good evening everyone good afternoon everyone how's everyone doing today are we gonna put out my album today like i heard that's how he is 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 that plaz off the record and off of instagram what I will say is that Plows is a very intelligent guy. Very okay. intelligent. Right. Okay. I ain't gonna put him out there, but when you talk to him, you'll get like a slighter version of what you talk when you see like online. It's like okay. when you talk to DMX. I don't know if you've ever had a conversation yeah. with DMX, but DMX talks like how he raps, and but it's not as aggressive as when he raps. Yeah. Or like when he if he's like in a zone somewhere, if he's just having a regular conversation with you, he'll still be like, hey, what's up? But if he's like overexcited, he's going to give you the overexcited DMX. So I think when you talk to Flowers, if you're on some cool shit, he's just going to talk to you regular. But like when he's doing his skits and his little thing, he's going to give you that extra comical Flowers. Okay. Now, I- I'm going to just ask, Busted Baby, who pull- who called Janet for the remix? Good question. Busted Baby. Janet who? Jackson? Jackson. Janet Jackson for the Busted Baby remix. She, like how you, you did, tell me, how did that you, you telling me you telling me something I don't even know. Hold 
How did that sample come about? I mean, Neo being oh, on the, the like oh the sample. Oh, okay, I got you. Um, all right. Well, let me go back a little bit. His first hit was Shorty, featuring T Pain. We stole that song from Atlantic. Let me tell you to play. If you if you Google right now, Webby featuring T Pain, Shorty, a version comes up with Webby on. They gave the song to Webby first, right? There's this magic with T Pain, with T Pain, the, the exact same song, nothing Ooh. different. So what happened was T Pain Atlantic did a song deal with T Pain. T Pain comes in the studio, he knocks out like five records, literally like in one session, and leaves. He thinks nothing of it. He thinks that they're just song. He doesn't realize that he literally made, literally ignited like three or four careers within that session. One of the songs was Shorty, which launched T, uh, which launched Plows. The other song yeah. was Low, 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 uh, Flowrider. Flowrider. Other one was um, Hold on, hold on, hold on. This is Webby. No, 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 no. This is T Pain. When he finishes the songs, Atlantic is giving the songs to all the Atlantic artists. Ooh. So we're in Atlantic, chilling, talking, chopping it up, and they say, "Yo, I want to play you this Webby record with T Pain on it." So we're listening to it, and we're like, "What's going on with this record?" And they were like, yeah, Webby's on it, but it's not really reacting the way we thought it was going to react. He said, give me the record. Bro. Let's have it. Mm. So they were like, all right, but you can't put it out because you know, <laughs> it's still technically Webby's record. We're like, yeah, sure, no problem. So we give it to Plows. <laughs> Plows kills it. Don't put it out yet. Of course, what does he do? He puts it the fuck Leak. out. <laughs> Leak. But it blows up. It blows up. It blows up. It couldn't mm. be stopped. The record just took off. Like, we couldn't stop it. It was a runaway train. But if you Google Webby featuring T-Pain Shorty, you'll see that version pop up with Webby, with Webby on it. So, yeah, that's how we got the first single for Plow. No. Now, for Bust It Baby, and there's a part one and a part two, another thing you can Google. Yes. If you Google Bust It Baby part one, you'll hear a, a full rap version of the record. We were listening to the record, and we were like, yo, this record is dope, but, man, we could make it more radio-friendly. So we're like, let's flip the beat a little bit and let's keep the same thing you're talking about, but let's get someone to sing it. Neo, being he was like the hottest R&B guy at the time, we give it to him. Nice. He takes it, does the hook, rest is history. I actually want to go back to that Atlantic piece too. T-Pain, you said you got Shorty in this session, he got Low. What else he had? What, what, what were the other three? <laughs> Man, I want to say it was Baby Bash. That record he did with okay. Baby Bash. Uh, and I, I think there was one more, but I remember we were going through the list and it was incredible. Like out of the five songs wow. he did, three or four was just incredible. Like the low just went diamond. And he says to yeah. himself, like, he's like, I never expected them. I just never expected to even hear them records again after I did it. I just took a check Crazy. The and they were Crazy. just smash after smash. Like he couldn't do no wrong. I, I don't know if we're jumping too far ahead in the order. You got to tell me, Amara La Negra, right? Fast Life Entertainment. I feel like she has the most potential to someone like a Pipple to go from 305 to Worldwide. So how did you connect with Amara? So I was following Amara on Instagram. I, I forgot how she even came across my page, but I was following her because I always thought she was special. I'm like looking at her I'm like, yo, this girl is dope. And mind you... Mm -hmm. I've been trying to repeat the success of Pitt. I've always been yeah. looking for another rapper who could speak English and Spanish that I could play in that market. Because that Spanish market is really big, especially when yeah. you're doing English and Spanish. So I'm like, I can't find somebody else. It just took me 15 years. And then here I come on her page. 
But the problem I had with her was she never posted anything in English. So I thought yeah. she couldn't speak English. I thought she was a full Spanish artist. So I'm like, how does this black girl don't speak no English whatsoever? <laughs> she's a, I figured she was just, and I figured she was Dominican. A lot of Dominicans are dark skinned. So I'm just like, all right. But I just kept following her all the time. I saw a video that one of my mutual friends shot for her. So I hit him up and I'm like, yo, do you know this girl? He's like, yeah, I did a video for her. She's dope. She's dope. And I'm like, man, I could blow her up only if she spoke mm. English. She speaks perfect English. How like, <laughs> give me the phone number. What are you doing? Let's go. I literally just text her out the blue. I was like, yo, I'm Julian. I'm the one who, you know, discovered and blew up Pitt and trained him, blah, 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 blah. You know, I really see a lot of potential in you. I'd love to sit down and have a conversation. She gets me back and she's like, yo, I, you know, I'll sit down with you. And let's, let's chop it up. So I invite her for lunch. I literally lay out a blueprint of her entire life. I said, here's where you are now. Here's where you're going to be in two years. Here's where you're going to be in 10 years. Like mapped it out. Wow. Fully. Wow. She's just looking at the papers like, yo, you're hired. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but you're hired right now. Just off this presentation alone. And it was her and her mom sitting there talking. Mommy was like, yo, I don't know what, who this guy is, but I love him. Let's go. And, wow. we start, and we started working right after that. We spoke about you in the beginning. I gave you the intro of you being the CEO of Fast Life Entertainment. So yep. who are the other artists a part of Fast Life? So the, the audience can get a full scope of Fast Life Entertainment. Absolutely. So obviously I'm out of the Negla, uh, Fast Life Entertainment. Um, I have a new rapper. My name is Dej Rose Gold. Super hot. She's buzzing. She's been big in like West Palm Beach. So she's a new signee that I just got. I just dropped a little mixtape with her. I'm just going to be dropping mixtapes all year long just to build the fan base up. I have another artist, uh, Pleasure P, which you guys know, obviously, from Pretty Ricky. That's my brother, so we rock together. I just signed a new group, actually signed to Atlantic Records, called Ghost. It consists of uh, two singers and one rapper. And then what I've done recently is I'm actually signing production companies slash small labels more so now than I'm signing artists because what I want to do is give people like myself an opportunity to have major distribution. You know, two and corn, all that stuff is cool, but you get no support. So what I'm doing is I'm structuring people to say, listen, man, if you have your own budget, you have your artists, I'm going to be your backbone. I have all the people. I have all the resources. I just don't want to take the risk all the time on, on all these artists. And if you're in a position to break your own artists, I'm going to give you the blueprint of what I do and give it to you. So I have this new artist on Tastemaker Music called Lady Rose. She's like murdering it. This girl is probably one of the hardest working girls I've seen in a long time. She has a song out called Mohead. And literally, organically, no money spent by the distributor. She's killing it. Like she got like a million plus on TikTok. She's on fire. This is the first month. She went from 40,000 followers on Instagram. She's at 100,000 now. And she's doing like 5,000 a day. But she works, man. She's she's a hard worker. Wow. Um, so I have I have them. Uh, I got this other guy named Swayze Styles. He has a label that I'm doing. So I'm just signing labels now and just giving those kind of opportunities to 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 these kids, so they can just kind of have their own like their own lane to do what they do, but be able to get bigger playlists, get your songs on BET, you know, and just have bigger looks and have access to people who normally probably wouldn't take your phone call. But because I know them, I can say, yo, check this out. They're doing their thing. I'm going to connect you guys and you guys make it happen. You're the new universal Vivendi. Who needs to go there? They could go right to you. (laughs) 
I, I think there's definitely a split, right? Because, you know, CEO, you have this type of setup. But then from a manager standpoint, I wanted to I wanted you to clarify it for the people. What is the job of a manager specifically? Right. Especially when you're breaking an artist, like is the money come, supposed to come out the manager's pocket? I think a lot of independent artists get confused with that piece and what they're supposed to expect from their manager. Great, great, great question. Yeah. So let me be very specific. Everybody's listening. Your manager is not a bank. He is not supposed to spend any money. Your manager is to guide your career. Now, it's not to say that a manager can't help out. But what happens a lot with artists is that they get signed to a manager and then they're thinking the manager is just going to do everything. Like, all right, I signed to you. What do I do? Right. So I can tell you, hey, go do this, go do that. But you have to spend the money because technically you're the label. I'm not. I'm here to manage what you're doing and make sure that you're doing the right things. So a lot of artists get confused with that and they think, okay, I got a manager now, so I'm good. So who's going to spend the money? No, I'm not here to spend money. I'm here to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do. I'm here to put you in the rooms that you're supposed to be in. What I, you know, after years of experience and I, started running into problems is that a good manager is going to make things happen and to make things happen it costs money so i just kind of restructured my deal where the the Mm -hmm. deals i do now it's kind of like half management half production company because i end up spending money anyways so i'm just like i'm gonna spend my money and risk it on you then i just gotta have a better return at the end of the day but for regular people who's gonna get a manager understand that they're to help you they're not there as a bank. So typically, what is the percentage split between artist and manager? Is it 15, 20? Every deal is different, but yeah, anywhere from 10 to 20%. My standard is 20. I might raise it after this new year, but right now it's still 20% standard. If anybody asks more than that, like you got to be jigger for me. Like You want 25 jigger? I, I might give it to you. But outside <laughs> of that, I'm not giving nobody 25%. And then what's the difference now between a manager and a booking agent? Because, for instance, a lot of people also feel like once they have a manager, you're supposed to book me shows. You're supposed to do that in the third. Is it separate having a booking agent? What's that split? Yeah. So let me give the breakdown. Manager is your main guy. A good manager can make you. A bad manager can just have you sitting there doing nothing. Now, it's not to say that a manager can't look for opportunities for you because they can. Mm Mm-hmm. And if they're not doing it, then you have a bad manager. They're supposed to be out there finding things for you to go and do that's going to help your career. Your agent is the one that's bringing you shows. They get 10%. It's never usually more than 10%. They're the ones that are looking for opportunities for you. So when you hear companies like William Morris, CAA, UTA, those are the big, big agencies. They're the ones Mm. that, like I work with UTA. They'll send me offers for shows. Even more so, they more look for tours more so than just shows and one-offs. But, you know, they'll send you everything that they can find for you. Your manager deals with your day-to-day business. Your business manager handles your money. Uh, Is there anybody else? Business manager, manager. Your road manager, obviously, is the guy who's on the road with you. They don't usually get a percentage. If they do, it's like maybe like five. But they usually just get a flat fee per, per show. Those are your main your main guys in the beginning because i mean a lot of people don't realize this but there is management of producers as well can you kind of tell us what is the difference between 
well, not even difference, but just tell us how is it with managing producers? Another great question. If you're a producer and or songwriter, make sure you find a manager who specializes in that. And gotcha. here's, why I say, here's why I say that. I try my best not to manage writers and producers. And I've had a lot of producers and writers want to be managed by me. The problem I tell them is that I say, look, bro, you're dope. I don't mind using you a lot, but I would be a disservice to you because when I hear a hit record, you got me all the way fucked up. If you think I'm giving it to somebody else, that's never happening. So I'm going to, I'm going to hog all the music. Like, why would I give this song to another artist for Like I'd put the song out, but it may take me a year to put it out when you can just go over and give it to Chris Brown and have him blow it up. Right. So managers are like doctors to me. You wouldn't go get brain surgery by a doctor who specializes in foot. You've got to find a manager who can take the music and go sit down with other managers and other people. And another thing, too, and this is just my opinion. If a manager calls me who manages another artist and says, yo, Jay, I got a hot ass song. Take a listen to it. Now I'm listening to it. You can have it. I start automatically becoming suspicious. Like, why you don't use it? Why wouldn't you go give it to your mm. big artist? Why are you giving it to me? So, but if it's a manager who only manages writers and producers, then I know that you're not holding the song or you're giving me some leftovers. You're going to give me the best because you want that song to work. So I, tr I try to find, like for a producer, I always say, look at the manager's client list and make sure that it matches kind of what you're doing. Oh, if he manages a rap act and it worked, that's your manager. They manage a, a Latin act and it worked, that's a good manager. But if they don't got no producers or no writers on there, I would be like, uh, no, I don't want to take that chance. I'd rather go with somebody who's managing other writers and producers because I know that they're going to go and do the things that need to be done for me. Good. Good to know. So have you managed DJs as well? And I'm asking for a friend. Now, DJs I would do because <laughs> it's back to music again. And DJs are producing for themselves. So I like that. And DJs, honestly, are way less headaches, to be honest with you. It's just usually them by themselves. I used to run right. into, um, I was on tour with Waka. I, was, I managed Waka for like two years. And we did um, this EDM tour in, uh, in, 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 in Europe. And I used to run into Just Blaze all the time. And we used to see him at all the festivals we used to do. And this dude literally just rode by himself. Like he was out mm. there collecting 50 grand, 100 grand checks. Dolo by himself. I'm like, you got no security? You got no road manager? You got nobody? He's like, no, nah, it's just me. Like, what, what do I need him for? They're like, I don't got to pay nobody but myself. I'm like, bro, you, you, you doing it. So DJs I do like. And, uh, and funny enough, I'm branching out now into influencers. Influencers yeah. are making as much money as these artists, if not more. It's crazy. So I got this new thing that I'm doing. It's called Soundhouse. It's in Atlanta. Uh -huh. So it's a, it's a mansion that I got. And I, I just filled it with influencers. So you can become a member for the house if you want to build your numbers up. It can be artists, you can be an influencer, and you can come to the house and work with other top influencers to shoot your numbers up high and do skits with them and just do stuff. And they just stay in the house all day just doing skits. Brilliant. Crazy. It's crazy. Brilliant. I saw that the other day and I told Blue, I'm like, this is genius. I don't know if you, you know that uh, YouTube has a studio in New York. But that's yeah. 
yeah, the YouTube studios that you have to have a million plus subscribers for you to be a member to utilize this space where you can create content. So for you to be doing that with up and coming influencers is absolutely, especially in Atlanta, is absolutely. Atlanta. Yep. So yeah. Yep. So I just yeah. launched that like literally, like we just putting the final touches on everything. Um, but that's going to be something that's available. So anybody trying to get their numbers up, I'll let your boy. Please, please, now, now. please utilize that, guys, because, I mean, there isn't much else going on in the world. So you might as well no, get the content and, and digital. And the great part is you're never going to beat the price because the guys who we have in the house, like I got my man, I don't know if you guys know, um, Tyrone, he's on Instagram. He's the guy who be slapping the cigarette out of people's hands. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so yeah, yeah. He's, he's one of our top guys at the house. Uh, he's going to be there next week. Now, to normally do a skit with this guy would cost you thousands of dollars. So the way I have the program set up, it becomes a membership situation. So now you're able to come in the house, work with this guy, get a skit with him, and put it on your wow. social media, which is going to jump your numbers up. Wow. You would never be able to get this guy like that so freely for him to come and do skits with you. So that's what the house is going to allow and like the whole program that we're doing. And, and we got to clarify for everyone, it, it might feel more like making the band. It's not no R. Kelly type of house. Like you can feel safe and secure traveling and out there. <laughs> you're extra, you're extra safe and secure. Definitely no R. Kelly. There's Thank no, God. There's no underage girls in the basement. Super safe. You know, it's, it's, it's honestly like a real family vibe. You know, we got cameras okay. everywhere. So everything is on the up and up. And, you know, and, you know, anything with me, man, is going to be top notch and, and, it's going to obviously always give you guys an opportunity. So you literally can come to the house, get distribution, get your numbers up, help blow up your song. Like it's like a one-stop shop. And I'm just getting a vibe here. Uh, I mean, just hearing about Soundhouse, were you inspired by your, your time on Love & Hip Hop, you know, seeing the behind the scenes of how the inner workings with TV and film was, was that an inspiration for you? Funny enough, my partner, CJ, who I partnered with for, uh, to do the house, that was actually her idea, and I just added on to it mm. because she was like, yo, I have, you know, she does real estate, and she's like, yo, I can get this house. And I'm like, for real? She sent me the pictures of it. I'm like, get it right now. What, what we got to do? <laughs> so we went and we got it, not even thinking twice about it, and we just started putting everything together. I flew up there. We set the whole house up, and then I just started hitting all my influencer friends, and I'm like, yo, let's get everybody in this house. And it's not a new concept. It's just it, I mean, it's not a brand new concept, but it is a new concept. They have this place called Hype House, where it was more on the white side. Uh, right. And that's where, like, Charlie D'Amelio and Dixie D'Amelio, where they all blew up. Jake Paul got Team 10. So there's a few of them that's that's sprouting up. But there really wasn't anything catered to, like, you know what I'm saying, like us. Mm-hmm. So I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? There's a lot of great black creators out there. So I wanted it to be – not that any race can come. You can be black, white, Spanish. just open. But I wanted something that is, you know, by us, for, for us. Our, our, you know, owned by our us. people. Exactly, exactly. But all my white people, you can come too. All are welcome. Now, Money what, is green. What is it? <laughs> Doesn't matter the color. I, I think it's crazy how you said in the beginning you wanted to do more TV and film, right? Music, in a sense, found you. But then you think about even you being on Love & Hip Hop, I think about all of the different people on the show, how many of them are connected to you? Like, was that your, in, did you envision that? And was Love & Hip Hop one of your plays to kind of bring your people onto TV? Another crazy story. So, 
I'm sitting there watching K. Michelle's show, her, her reality show. Mm. And I'm watching yeah. it. And I'm, I sit there and I get this idea. And I'm like, yo, why doesn't Trina have her own show? Like Trina is K. Michelle, but like a rap version, right? Mm. So I'm confused. And I'm like, I jump on my phone. I call Mona Scott. And I'm like, Mona, why doesn't Trina have her own show? Like, we can't do a show with her. Like, Trina is K. Michelle mm. all over again. And she's like, Julian, that's a brilliant idea. I'm flying to Miami next week. Ah. I said, that's what I like to hear. So she flies down. <laughs> she meets me at this Jewish deli of all places. You know, she's like surrounded by like the, the real Jews with like the, I don't know what they're called, but you know, like the real Jews. <laughs> so I'm like, the curls gotta and yarmulkes. it's gotta be, yeah, it's, it's gotta be a big money meeting. So I'm waiting. She finishes. We sit down, we chop it up. Uh, Trina's late, of course. You know, big up the Trina. She, and and then, then I had an hour of Mona t- explaining time to me. She's like, you can't be late. And I'm like, Mona, I'm here. Like, why are you cursing me out? Like, I'm on time. <laughs> but anyways, Trina gets there. We 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 win her over. We actually do a deal, paperwork and everything. And we fall into development hell. So we can't really put the cast together. It just it wasn't it wasn't meshing to the network. So Mona calls me and she's like, yo, listen, I got an idea. Tell Trina to do love and hip hop. I know she's been saying no, but Julian, you can convince her to do it. If she does mm. it and it works, then we can do a spinoff. I said, done deal. So I go to Trina. I'm like, Trina, it's about that time. We got to We got to do this show because, I mean, we're pushing like six albums. You know, like you, you got to figure out what you're going to do for the next 10 years of your life. And TV is where it's at. And once you do this show, you're going to be able to bounce around and do different shows. Like this is your outlet. So she was like, all right, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to be fighting and doing all this, which you know she ended up doing anyways. But she's like, I don't want all that ratchet shit. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no problem. Let's do it. So the first season, if you remember, I literally was managing everybody because I literally casted everybody. Yeah. I, told, I, called, yeah. I called my clients. I'm like, yo, pleasure. You want to be on the show? And he's Come like, I'll audition for LA. And he was like, nah, this is Miami, nigga. Like, we're going to do this. Got him on. Wow. Ricky came on. Obviously, Trick was automatically going to be on. And then obviously I picked some Amada. I was like, yo, I got this new girl. Her personality's crazy. She's dope. Mm. And I kept banging down their door, like, yo, Mona, you gotta check her out. So she finally checked her out and she was like, yo, I love her. Mm-hmm. And then wow. boom. So that, and then wow. the other the other cast members were like, yo, who's Julian? Like the ones who I didn't know. And everyone just kept coming to me, like, yo, manage me, manage me. So like that first season. <laughs> Dude, I literally was managing like ten of them at the time. Crazy. I was managing JoJo, Michelle Pooch, Pleasure. Like when they used to say the schedule, they're like, "Yo, who the fuck is Julian?" Because he's managing everybody. <laughs> Yo, you not slick, Jew boy. I knew that was you, man. I knew that. I knew it, man. <laughs> hey, yo, I'm a. I'm gonna say the one thing that also bugged me out, and I'm tying everything together here too. You said the first time you came across Samara, you were you weren't even sure if she spoke English. And then I remember, like, after the first episode, Insecure dropped. Like, I remember that. That first week when she hit that TV screen, when I told you that I showed her the game plan when I first met with her, I literally told her. It wasn't specifically that show, but I told her, mm. we're going to find a way for people to fall in love with you first. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's what the show did. I said, your personality is wow. so big that when they finally fall in love with you, then we're just going to kill them with music. Because they're already going to love you. And look what happened. She went from like, I met her at like 475 followers. Now she's at 2.3 and rising 10,000 a day. Like it was an explosion. That first week, I 
I timed everything so perfectly. We dropped the big announcement yeah. with the label deal, the publishing yeah. deal, the agent deal. Like you, you couldn't be stopped. And then that first year, every and everything that we could do, we were there. They used to call me and be like, "Yo, do you mind if you do an interview? It's in LA though. Yo, next flight, we're there. We out there. Yo, we have another thing in New York. Yo, we're there." Can you come back to LA? I know we're asking a lot. Asking a lot. <laughs> Bitch, I do this. Let's go. Like, so we were just bouncing from city. Like, we we weren't home. We weren't home for like three months. Like, we had the nah. and luggage literally on the um on the uh, on the road because we were just nonstop. Now, when I met y'all, I feel like Amara was so tired. She was sleeping in like the back room. Like, I got her to sleep before the book signing. Like, I, I saw that hustle. I got so many videos of her sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was her sleeping in the car and me sleeping in the club because that was the only time I could get some rest. So I used to wow. be in the club. Like my assistant at the time, she had videos of me constantly in the club. I just be knocked out sleeping on the side of the thing, like <laughs> cold knocked out. They're like, "How you sleep in the club?" I'm like, "Yeah, like, we don't sleep. We're so tired. Like anytime we get a nap, we're just gonna get it." I just have a question: label execs and managers. I mean. You meet so many different artists along the way, uh, across uh, throughout the years. Are there any that you met, said nah, and are kind of kicking yourself that you said no? Who artists? Yeah, artists. Oh Jesus Christ! Let me give you the list. Hold on. <laughs> I <wasn't laughs> when this was that slip and slide, let me tell you all the artists that we missed. Well. I'm going to tell you the artist who I wanted to sign. And at the time, the president didn't want to sign him. You have Yin Yang Twins. Mm. You have Kaya. Mm. Macklemore. What? ASAP Rocky. <gasps> Logic. We had Logic. We had, a con- we had a contract in my bag. And we're sitting with Logic at the Mondrian, South Beach. We flew him down. And I was like, this guy's the next Nas. I promise you, he's the white mm. nine. And mm. my boss, my boss at the time, he was like, "Ah man, I don't know, bro. Like, you sure this guy's like a little dirty white guy?" I'm like, "Yo, this guy's the truth." <laughs> and he didn't see it. We didn't Damn. sign him. Six months later, Def Jam, and you already know the rest Damn. of the Hey, we had Macklemore before he went pop. If y'all know Macklemore's story, he was a heavy drug addict. He was heavy Damn. into liquor, and his music reflected that. If you dig deep enough, you can go, you can YouTube this video before he became famous. And there's a video with him in like this boat, super dark, very depressing. We were going to sign him off for that. Not even him doing pop. Mm. It was just all that depressed music. And we were like, yo, this guy's dope. Da, 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 da. And then a year later, the rest is history. Now, the people who I passed on that I messed up on was not that I, not that I passed on him, but I didn't pay him no mind it was B.O.B. He's mm. sitting in the corner playing the guitar. Him and you know Jim Johnson signed him, and I just didn't see it at the time. I was just like, I don't get it. Wow. He was signed to Atlantic, and here's the crazy part: all of his records was Lupe's records that they had for Lupe. What? And if you remember when Lupe was on strike and he didn't want to do no more, he didn't want to do no more yeah. with, with Atlantic. He was beefing with Atlantic, and they said, "You beefing with us? All right, cool. We're gonna give all your music to Bob." Mm. That's and they gave mm. him the Bruno Mars record, which was, if you really listen to it, Lupe That's could Lupe. take that record very easy. We killed it. Very Lupe vibe. He didn't take a B.O.B. They gave him the B.O.B. and B.O.B. blew up. I'm floored. 
I was not expecting, I was expecting like one, maybe two names. There's, there's a couple more. Who else did I pass on? Oh, the worst one. I don't regret nothing in life. I think everything is for a reason, but this one I kind of regret. I had Young Thug like this in my hand. This is not the Young Thug you guys know now. This is Broke Young okay. Thug. This was no, no Little Wayne influence. Nothing. Zero. This is early, early on Young Thug just thugging it out. You remember when I was managing Walker, we, we were out yeah. loving on the track. Uh, 808 Mafia, all these guys were in, in mm. Walker's basement. Oh, they were all just, you know, just trying to come up. I think Southside had the biggest buzz. And then he gave all his drum kits to all his little producers. He's like, yo, just make beats and give them to everybody in Atlanta. That's all they did. They would Baby. just make beats and give them. And Young Thug used to be there rocking with us. One of his people came to me, and this is when I was working with Walker. And Walker had gotten off Atlantic. He went to Warner. No, sorry. He went from Warner to Atlantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. We got him out the Gucci. We got him out the Gucci deal, so he was ready to go, ready to rock. So they were looking at me like, "Damn, nigga, you can't even just clean everything up." Like, "What's up? Can you manage Young Thug?" So I met him. Wow. For like two seconds, and then again, I used to see him around all the time. I just didn't see it. And then he comes out with that record, and I was back in Atlanta driving, and I hear it on the radio, and Nikki had just jumped on that record. Oh my god, I was like, "Oh, I messed up." Uh, uh-huh. I knew I fucked up. I was like, I know I fucked up. And he was that hit in the gut. after that. that hit in the gut. And there's nothing I could say after that. Cause what can you say after if somebody blows up and you curve them? You're just like, Yeah, hey, man, good luck. Yeah. I wish you the best. <laughs> you know, I can't I can't even ask for a favor because they're gonna be like, nigga, you ain't believing him. So it was BOB, Young Thug. I think Young Thug was the biggest one. That was the biggest one that okay. I really had in my hand that if I would have pressed it, I could have easily have been managing him. But those are that's that was the biggest one I missed. <laughs> That's heavy, man. It, heavy. it happens. It happens. It happens. But you see, but you see, at the end of the day, God knows what would have happened because if I would have, if I, he was rocking with me, who knows if he would have ended up messing with Birdman because Birdman was the one True. who really started helping him uh, outside of his label to really start getting him hyped. So True. everything happens for a reason at the end of the day. Now, just to take it back to the TV, because a lot of people know you now from the TV. They don't know these background stories. Uh, people feel that a lot of the reality shows are exaggerated. And then, you know, some of these people that you kind of came up with over the last few decades, we see situations with you and Trina kind of having a fallout over questions of funds, Amara's boyfriends going all crazy with you. Like, how does that all impact business? And are you able to separate it? TV show, we're not on set right now. This is business right here. The thing is, and this is one thing I want artists to understand, Understand the business before you open your mouth and say something stupid. Mm. Now, I love all my, I love these guys to death. And what you see on TV, it's like, it's an over-exaggerated, not in chronicle order of things that are happening. It feels like everything is happening at the time, but it's not. They're just cramming everything together to try to cause conflict. Now, you got to understand the show. It's love and hip hop and it's a soap opera. So without yeah. conflict, without a bad guy, without a good guy, there's no show. So yeah. I kind of I knew that going in, and they kind of sucked me into it, and they made they try to make me the bad guy. But at the end of the day, the people who know me and work with me don't ever have an issue. And the thing is, yes. if anybody ever was like, "Yo, you know what? Come and sit down one on one. Let's really pull out all the receipts. Let's pull out the contracts. Let's do that." I'm a hundred percent ready anytime anybody wants to, because I know all my nice. stuff is good. You know what I mean? Nice. And I'm that confident nice. to be like, whenever you want to come and sit down and have a real conversation, let's do it. 
Because at the end of the day, all of these guys, I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on them of personal money, of bottle wow. money, of label advances. Like you never know Julian of rolling up in a, in a, in a Rolls Royce or buying some 10 bedroom mansion. No, all I do is I put my money right back into my label because I know at a certain point, I'm not where Birdman is, but I'm right behind you, bro. Like I'm going to mm. get that Wayne or I'm going to get that Drake in two seconds. Mm. I'm right there. But it takes a lot of money, a lot of resources yeah. for those things to happen. And the thing with these artists is, and it's sad, is that I don't want to keep having to tell you everything that I do. Hey, man, it's got you this. Hey, man, it's got your song over here. Hey, man, it's got you this. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do that. I just want to make things happen. What happens is I, I feel like it's, it's a, it backfires on me because I feel like the artists sometimes feel like it's them. Like, oh, I'm getting this because of me. No. You're going to get because of me. And you're doing what you're supposed to do. So it's us. So when this yeah. thing works, it's us. It ain't you. Now, you do yeah. have to get up in the morning and you do have to do what I'm telling you to do. But it's me telling you what to do is why you're winning. Just understand the business. Like, once you understand the business, pay your manager, pay your people around you. Make sure everybody's good because you can't be the only person sitting there making millions of dollars and think that people are going to be around you and be loyal to you. And if they're broke and watching you just live up your life, eventually they're going to look at you and be like, yo, what are you doing? It doesn't affect me business-wise because my phone still be filled up with artists. Yo, manage me. Yes. I don't care about what yes. you're talking about. I don't care what they're <laughs> saying. When you really watch the show, I cleared everything up. But because yes. I'm not as big social media-wise as an artist, the artists will feel, people or fans will feel like, oh, the artist is right because they yeah. just said it. But yeah. like, okay, if that's the case, then why won't you sit down with me? If you really want to go toe to toe, and if you really think I did that to you, then sit down with me and let me prove it to you that I didn't do that. But they'll never do that because they know at the end of the day what the real truth is. And there you go, my man. work speaks for myself. Hove said it best. He said, if you that dope, then make another hoe. Man, I've been keeping, I keep making <laughs> hoes with, by myself, with the label. <laughs> Because Amada was the example of everybody was like, oh, yeah. you're not a slip and slide no more, so you you gonna fall off, you ain't gonna do nothing. I got to work me. You're not gonna sacrifice what I sacrifice. Ain't nobody ever gonna do that. So I'm always gonna outwork you and I'm always gonna sacrifice things that you're never gonna sacrifice. And I'm gonna do it in a heartbeat because right. it takes a crazy person to be a Diddy. It takes a crazy person to be a bird man. Like these guys, I respect them so much because I know what it takes because I'm in them, I'm in them same trenches. And yeah, most people, they, yeah. they give up. They're like, yo, I, I can't do that. I got to go spend time with my family over here. I got to go watch my son's football game. I'm going to be like, I got to go to work. My family has to understand that because the life that I want them to have and live takes me sometimes not being there. So I got to go grind and I got to go hustle. Yeah, I would love to be at everything, but I got to go get this money and I got to go get the success to be able to give you guys the life that you guys really deserve. Life ain't fair. And sometimes you got to miss certain things to really see the bigger picture and make the bigger picture happen. Generational wealth. That's the, that's the time we all need to be on, especially as Black that's... people. I talk about it all the time. We have to make sacrifices. So it's, it's important for our listeners to hear that from you, somebody like you, and really understand what it takes. It's not just about looking cool on Instagram or being tied to whatever name that's big. You got to put in the work. Absolutely. Look, I'm having, I'm doing this interview with you. I'm out, you know, dinner with the wifey. She won't. There you go. But, yo, if I got to do an interview, I got to do it. 
So <laughs> at the end of the day, sacrifice is the biggest thing. And, and if you're not willing to sacrifice everything, and I mean everything, I mean everything, this is not the business for you. You're never going to make it. You can't give, you can't give even 80%. You got to give a hundred. You right. got to. And the guys who've made it, the pit bulls and the Rick Rosses, man, these guys lived that life, man. They had no money. Mm. Never, never had a real job in his life. Right when mm. he came out of high school, he was doing this and he never stopped. He, you know, he mm. might do a little slang in here and there just to pay some bills, but every day was the hustle. You felt it. That's why that record went to number one. You felt those lyrics because he really lived it. Exactly. You you laid out so much for us, Julian. I think it's even more than we expected, man. A, a lot of gems. And I think it's important, you know, because in every city, there's people that are the glue behind it. And I, I definitely tip my hat off to you. Salute you for being such a backbone through Miami. Hey, man, listen, I, I rep 305 till I die, but I look for artists everywhere, man. I got some incredible guys from Atlanta, uh, like the new group I was telling you about, Ghost, who's on Atlantic. Um, you're going to see a lot from them now because I just signed them. It just, man, listen, it. I look for guys that are just relentless. I look for guys that just give it they all and who will listen because you'll meet artists and either they're super talented but they don't listen or yeah. they're just knuckleheads and they just think they know everything or they just want to do what they want to do. And it's like, yo, listen, I wish you the best. My track record speaks for itself. So you're not going to listen to me. Listen, I wish you the best. Go do your thing. You always have my support. But I got a certain way I like to do stuff. Again, if you watch Lady Rose, man, I think her Instagram is Lady Rose, L-I-D-I-I-R-O-S-E-007. This girl, mm. I, every artist I sign now, I say, go to her page. If you're not doing okay. what she's doing, you're not working. This girl wakes ready. up every day doing they 10 skits. how I need to work. Okay. I'm trying to listen. I'm telling you, she <laughs> she will promote one song and do a thousand skits for it like it's nothing. She's in every mm. club every night. She's in every interview. This girl works. And mm. when you have someone like that, it gets my attention because it makes me want to work even harder for you because I know you're going to put the work in it if I give you that platform. And that's what she's doing. But big up to everybody, man. All my artists, man. Uh, quote, it's another artist. He's really big overseas. He got a, he got a, he had a huge record with Pitt. A couple of years ago in Australia, right. went like three times platinum. Um, all my right. guys are great guys. Um, and everybody's just working hard, trying to get, you know, trying to get on. So do you have any words for our up and coming music industry execs, up and coming manage managers of artists, producers that, you know, really want to hear words of encouragement or, you know, just a tidbit that they usually wouldn't get unless they're really in the trenches, something that you learn that, you know, you can give that they wouldn't hear. I'm going to give two advices, one for the executives, one for the artists. Executives, mm -hmm. and anybody can be a manager. A, a great manager is not about knowing everything, but it's the willingness of finding out what you need to go find out. And if you don't have any artists yet, before you even sign anybody, I think you should find a mentor. Find somebody who's dope and go work for them for free. Mm. And this is where the sacrifice part comes in because they'll be like, yo, what do you want me to do? Just pick up all my stuff and just go move and go follow someone? Yes, that's exactly what yeah. I'm telling you to do. Even if you <laughs> got to live in your car, follow them wherever they go and learn from them. Because I had a great teacher. I had Luke and I had Michael yeah. Mulder. So they were, mm. I was able to learn everything about management in, 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 with one mentor. And then I learned everything about the label side from 
Luke Records and Slip and Slide. And then I was able to put all of that together to be able to be a great manager and a great label at the exact same time. So you got to find somebody and just be like, yo, just teach me. Whatever I got to do, I'll work for you for free. Let me carry your bags. Let me do anything. But see, the problem now is everybody too cool. Like, oh, man, I can't carry nobody bags. I'm this, I'm that. All right, cool. <laughs> Go do you because you're not going to do nothing. You got to learn to be able to get an artist and be able to do the right things with them. But manager, honestly, half of the battle is just execution. It's the biggest thing. The reason why I'm so good, I ain't the smartest person in the world. I mean, I'm smart, but I ain't the smartest person in, in, in the world. But no one can beat my execution. When I think of an idea, I'm going to sit, I'm going to draw it out, I'm going to map it out, and then I'm going to find someone to go do it. I'm not going to sit there and wait and be like, damn, I really wish I had a record deal for my artist. I'm going to go put the record out myself, and I'm going to go work it. What you, what mm. you waiting for? We live, we live in a digital age. Who are you waiting for? Yeah. Shoot your video on your phone if you have to, and put it out. That's the part of a manager that really makes a great manager compared to somebody who's just like faking like a manager. And for the artist, oh, the last thing for a manager, once you get into a groove and you start working, and this is no offense to you artists, but always have more than one artist. These artists will go bad on you. Luke taught me that. Always have more than one because artists go crazy sometimes. You know, when you start getting a lot of money, it just affects your brain and your ego sometimes get out of whack. For the artist now, find a manager. And don't rush to go get a manager. Everybody feels like just the day they become a rapper, they're like, I'm going to be a rapper. I need a manager. No, you don't. Give me something to manage. Do stuff yourself first and understand how hard it is so you really understand what a manager is going to come and do for you. But come with something. You know, like when you come to me and you're like, yeah, man, I'm popping. Everybody tells me that, bro. So what about you is popping? And the thing is, I can pull all your stats. I don't know if you're popping or not. I've had people tell mm. me that, man, I'm, I'm the hottest dude in Atlanta. Okay. No, you're not. Your Spotify <laughs> followers are too. No one likes you, bro. What are you talking about? Where Where do you think you're popping? No, no, no. Everyone's be streaming my songs. I'm looking at your streams now. What are you talking about? It's a great record, but no one cares about it, right? Mm. So you got to be able to do a little bit of work. I'm not telling you to come to me with a million followers, but come to me and show me that you did a little bit of work. Like even if you have ten thousand followers, show me that your engagement is good. Show me that your neighborhood can come out and come watch you perform. Invite me to a show and be like, yo, all my people are here. Even if it's a thousand of your friends, show me that you can do something outside mm. of saying that you're hot because used to saying you're hot. It has to be the most incredible song for me to be like, oh, okay, I'm going to sign you. But I like when you come with a little something because then I'm going to throw the gasoline on that and make it bigger than what it is. Perfect example is Amada. She was hot in Dominican Republic, right? She had a nice little record out there, but no one knew who you was in the rest of the world. Now I changed that and gave you a, a broader spectrum of the world now. And now everyone knows who you are, or at least a good majority of people can at least recognize you and be like, I don't know who that is. And outside of that, for the artist, it's just, man, listen, this is a dedication thing, man. If you're not dedicated to it, go find something else to do. Listen, there's a lot of jobs in the music industry that you can be great at, but don't think this is something to play with. Like, this is something that is life or death. And I, I take it serious mm. and I don't I don't waste time. I'm, I'm in it to win Yo, dope. That that was crazy. I, I I was expecting gems. I I really was, but not of this magnitude. Not that many. <laughs>
Julian. Shout out to Julian Booth. Word. Blessed us so heavy with his knowledge, his insight, his experience. I mean, this is this is what people want to hear. So definitely grateful for that interview that we just did. Amazing. You know, I, I feel like I told him straight out, I think for a long time, I just knew him for his connection with Amara. And then when you hear his impact, what he did for that whole region of the country, right. when you look at it that way, it's it's bananas. And I think you, you hit the nail on the head. I feel like coming from New York, we don't necessarily know what the process is for people in other regions until we saw it on TV. Right. And it was already manufactured to where it needed to be to cross over in terms of mainstream. So to see the man behind the scenes give those stories, it's definitely a, a much more in-depth experience. So, yeah, I loved it. Nah, crazy. So, the people, I hope you share this, not only for your own just knowledge, I mean, whether you're an artist, someone who wants to be a manager, DJ, producer, like, if you are affiliated with the industry, you hear this story, it's it's something, share it with, share it with a friend, let them, let them know there was just so many gems, whether it was cuts, percentages, he, he gave it all to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen in, listen again, share it with your friends, uh, any aspiring behind the scenes producers, managers, like share it as much as you can, because uh, uh, gosh, the gems that were dropped were just incredible. If you don't want to share it, you don't have to, but make sure you listen and listen good because... <laughs> Word, to keep the secrets for yourself if you have to, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Blue Dope, that's what it is. We're going to keep giving you all these crazy exclusive interviews. So check us out, bluedope.tv. On the IG, Blue Dope TV. make sure you follow us, stay tuned. You never know who we're going to have next. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Blue Dope and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, you can follow the crew on Instagram at Blue Dope TV.